Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. This is Josh McCarty. With me tonight, as always, is Luca. Luca, how are you doing tonight? Doing good. Uh, we're recording on Easter night here, uh, Easter Sunday night. Um, it was a nice, relaxing one for me. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have a lot of family in town, so there wasn't much of that going on. But fortunately, it did allow me to have more of a low-key Sunday and enjoyed watching the Masters, watching uh, my club Liverpool play Arsenal in an exciting match, uh, things like that. But just kind of just was able to enjoy the day. It was a nice day here, um, things like that, and then do a little bit of show prep here for our podcast where we're going to dive into what we're going to dive into. So I'm doing good, doing good and ready to record another episode. It was a fairly relaxing weekend for me, too, up until about, oh, 45 minutes ago when we were trying to start recording and I had tech issues at the Wazoo. If you are watching on YouTube, first of all, thank you. We appreciate that. All of our Bill's Chat, even pod-only episodes now, are going to be up on YouTube in full on the same day we post them to the audio platforms. Be sure to check that out. But if you're watching on YouTube, you might notice I have a different background behind me. This is not my normal background that looks a lot like this. I am on a different computer because the computer I was using basically went kaput. So you can take a look at my kid's play area behind me spoiler alert i don't have this office all to myself it just looks like it from the view i show you all but next time you see our faces on here it'll look a lot different i'm just gonna swap some computers around but for tonight just a little bit different angle luca tonight we're gonna talk about defense and i was thinking about this i think when the off season started the majority of bills fans thought that the bills needed to attack the offense whether it was the fact that we got matched up with the Bengals in the playoffs and all week long, it was, oh, wow, they have Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. And what do we have after Stefan Diggs? And it's all about the Chiefs. The Chiefs are going to score 30 points on basically anybody, 40 points even, and you have to keep up. And then as the offseason has gone on and you look at the additions the Bills have made in free agency, it's been Damian Harris. It's been Deontay Hardy. Um, it, they've brought in multiple wide receivers. They brought in multiple offensive linemen from outside their building. And truthfully, the only player from outside their building on the defensive side of the ball, they brought in was a backup safety in Taylor Rapp. So now that we are just under three weeks away from the draft, really two and a half weeks away, I think the realization is starting to hit some bills fans that maybe despite the fact that we've seen the bills go defensive heavy with their premium picks in the past, this could indeed be another defensive draft. Yeah, for sure. I it's I think everything you said there is right where they attacked the offensive side a little bit more aggressively in free agency and history of, you know, football organizations as a whole. Like we're not even talking just being in McDermott and whatnot, but if you lean one side of the ball in free agency, generally that indicates that they're looking at certain aspects of the draft at the opposite side, right? So if we attacked offensively like we did, maybe it's because they're more keen on guys in this year's draft where they will end up and things of that nature on the defensive side of the ball. And there's prospects and, and players that they like at pick 27, at pick 59, and so on and so forth. So realistically, it's not hard to kind of wrap your head around that due to just what history has shown us. And some might be upset about that. And I kind of sympathize with them because I'm, I'm there with it. I'm all in about kind of going two feet in. If you want to improve your offense, do it in all matters and form. But 
if you want to kind of balance out and fill all the holes and fill all the needs of now and the future, and you addressed one side of that, potentially there's a debate on if they actually did certain things of that in free agency. But if you think you did that in free agency on the offensive side of the ball, it's not ridiculous to think then they're probably going to try to address needs in the draft with the draft on the defensive side of the ball more than anything else. So it's, it's something that yes, people may need to come to terms terms with a little bit more than others and just understand that do not be surprised if, you know, rounds one, two, and three come around and at least two defensive players are, you know, taken by the bills. If not all three picks used are on defensive players and it's just, it is what it is. I, I just made a face. Cause I just, I know I'm not going to love it. I, <laughs> I feel like, and we're going to talk about linebacker really to kick off this show. But I just feel like despite the fact that there are a couple of linebackers in this draft that I like, the Bills, who are in theory trying to keep up with the Bengals and the Chiefs, and if you do make the Super Bowl, trying to keep up with the Eagles, who it just feels like have blue chip weapons all over their offense. I just don't know that drafting a linebacker is what's really going to make me think that the Bills have closed the gap, if you believe there is a gap there. But Luca, let's talk about linebacker because I think heading into this offseason, the Bills had several things they absolutely positively had to do. One, they had to upgrade Roger, Roger Saffold's spot, and they double-dipped in free agency. They brought in David Edwards from the Rams, but most importantly, they one of their first moves was bringing in Connor McGovern from the Cowboys. So it feels like at least they could roll the ball out right now and feel pretty good about their guard situation. They had to upgrade their wide receiver spot, and it would appear that they've done that with Trent Sherfield and Deontay Hardy coming in, Isaiah McKenzie, Cole Beasley, and John Brown going out the door. It feels like the, along with Kumaro and Crowder, who, you know, had basically a cup of coffee with the Bills, but um, it was, it feels like they've at least given themselves a fighting chance at that position where if they don't do anything else at those positions, they should be fine. They upgraded what we think is a better complement to James Cook, maybe not a better overall football player than Devin Singletary in everybody's opinion. But Damian Harris is a much better compliment to James Cook. So I think the Bills, in theory, could be just fine on offense. And the one glaring position on defense that everybody kind of has their hand up right now, like, what are you doing, is linebacker because Tremaine, Tremaine Edmonds did leave. And he is a very integral part of this defense. And the Bills watched free agency go by and saw Levante David, Bobby Wagner, Drew Tranquil, all go to other teams, TJ Edwards, even when you talk about the second and third tier and that free agent market is just dried up. And what they are left with is a bunch of guys that were in the building last year that for lack of a better term, were just underwhelming whenever they had opportunities, whether it's Terrell Bernard, Terrell Dodson, Balin Spector. Um, so it feels like that if the bills were going to play a game tomorrow, the one glaring position they have a need for a starter at, is middle linebacker. And I think that's made a lot of people start to think that middle linebacker could be the bills first round pick in this draft. Where do you fall currently on the linebacker need for the bills? I think putting need there is necessarily or unnecessarily a bit strong. I don't disagree. If you think it's a need, my thing is, Similar to the right tackle position, maybe a little bit more so, but similar to the right tackle position, there's something about the front office and everyone involved that seems like they may like where they're at more than it seems from the outside looking in. And for that reason, I kind of lean more with, it's just the biggest question mark 
of the roster. I don't necessarily call it a need, just like I don't necessarily call the right tackle position a need. It's just the biggest question mark. It's what are you going to do with it only because there's a, a lot of questions with what you're going to get out of that position. The right tackle with Spencer Brown, you at least know more about it, but there's question marks in, is it still going to be a liability? Is he going to improve? So on and so forth. With the linebacker position, you really are kind of going in that a little bit dark and unknown, and that's what makes it a massive question mark because you have a guy like Milano, you know, an all-pro player, but next to him is a big, big, big question mark, and who is going to fill that hole that is left there by Tremaine Edmonds? Yes. With all of that said, I don't look at that and go, you absolutely must use your first round pick to fill that hole and have someone there ready to go and then let your depth guys remain depth guys. You have to maybe evaluate who's there. It feels like to me, if you get in the mindset, if you're an individual that has this kind of thought of you have to draft a linebacker there at 27 or maybe even make a move accordingly, whatever you need to do to make sure that first pick you make is a linebacker. I think you're limiting yourself and you're kind of going into it closed-minded and that's the worst thing you can do in a draft. You cannot be closed-minded. You cannot just kind of focus on one guy. The only team that should be kind of closed-minded in a way is the first team in the draft, the first overall pick. You obviously have a glaring need at quarterback most likely and you are trying to just evaluate two or three of the top quarterbacks in the draft and then you zero in on the guy you love. That is the only team that realistically should be kind of you know, putting the blinders on and looking at one singular thing, everyone else in the draft and especially the ones later on, like the bills and others need to kind of make sure they have a full broad picture of what's in front of them and not just kind of immediately look at, okay, linebackers, our biggest question mark. It's the biggest kind of unknown. We need to make sure we attack that first. That to me feels a little bit I don't want to even call it short sighted because, again, the draft is all about future projection as well as immediate need. But more so the future part and you're not doing it. It's like, Hey, this biggest hole, fill it. But on top of it, you're just, you're limiting your thought process and your due diligence and things you could do where you might miss a couple things around you that may actually benefit you more in the long run. So that's kind of where I'm at with linebacker. It's not necessarily a clear cut black and white kind of answer, but realistically, I don't think the evaluation of linebacker is black and white either. That's a great, launching point for where I want to start this conversation because I sent out a tweet earlier on Sunday. We're recording on Sunday night about the linebacker from Iowa, Jack Campbell. And he is somebody that has been getting a lot of steam on Bill's Twitter. A lot of mock drafts now are putting Jack Campbell to the bills. And my tweet paraphrasing myself was basically, I've been struggling with Jack Campbell through this entire draft process. And something finally hit me today of why it's such a struggle for me. And we're going to get into Jack Campbell in depth here in a bit, but just stay with me here. And I'm going to tell you what hit me today. And I want to hear your thoughts on it. So by all accounts, Jack Campbell is actually pretty much everything the bills would look for in a starting linebacker. He's got size. He has plenty of experience. He plays fast. He's a leader out there. He's strong on in coverage, which is what the bills really, really look for. Um, I have here, and you know, I don't want to get too much into his actual scouting report. We'll get into that in a second, but he has a lot of the same size as Tremaine Edmonds. And he's one of the few Mike linebackers in this draft. And you start looking at the boxes he checks. It's like, yes, 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 this works. This works. This works. But something Luca, every time Jack Campbell gets brought up continues to bother me. 
And it finally dawned on me today, and it really has a lot to do with what you just brought up and what you said. You're familiar with filters, right? Like whether it's in Excel or any programming you use, people out there, you're all familiar with filters. Like I use them at work all the time. If I want to look at something that only applies to West Coast states on something I'm looking at, I'll just filter down to West Coast and boom, like then I just have California and all those, you get where I'm going here. I feel like my issue with Jack Campbell is when you have the Bills draft needs filtered down to what we think they need, which is offensive line, wide receiver, and linebacker, those are the three big three that we we talk about. It's plausible, if not probable, that Jack Campbell is going to rate as highly as whatever wide receiver is left for the Bills at 27. There is a scenario where guys like Zay Flowers and Jordan Addison are off the board, and then you're left talking yourself into a Jalen Hyatt or somebody like that. And at that point, Jack Campbell stacks up pretty well. Uh, Same thing with the tackles. We talked all about the tackles, but you could get to a point where the tackles like Bergeron are left. And at that point, you're like, why not Jack Campbell? If you go in, though, and you clear the filters of the Bills' needs, there is not any expert out there that I can find that has Jack Campbell in his top 27 prospects. The issue is we are comparing him through this narrow-minded lens of what we think the Bills need with their picks when the reality is there are a ton of defensive linemen, defensive backs, positions that we don't necessarily think the Bills need as strongly in 2023 that are going to rank significantly higher than, than Campbell. And that's that's what hit me today, Luke. It's remove the filters. Why do I keep thinking it's bad value when I'm comparing him to Jalen Hyatt, who I like, or you know Bergeron, who I like? Don't compare him to that. Compare him to the defensive end that's there that might be 20th on your board. And that's where it becomes, ugh, like that's that's where I don't want to spend the 27th pick. Because you have a need in 2023, it is very short-sighted to just pick for need because three or four years from now, you could look back on this draft and say, hey, we have Jack Campbell. He's fine. But there's this defensive end that's been going to the Pro Bowl the last three years that we didn't take because we had Boogie Basham. And I think that's that's what hit me today. Like, remove the filters. Yeah. Remove the filters. It's always remember best player available BPA. It doesn't matter where you are in the draft and what your needs are. What you need to always keep in mind and on the forefront of everything is best player available. Is Jack Campbell at 27 the number one BPA? We don't know that yet, but going into the draft, just assuming that's what the best player available will be for the Bills is kind of irresponsible, short-sighted, and things like that. You're limiting, as I said before, kind of where your focus can be and what you see on the board. If you go in there being, as you said, perfectly, okay, these are our three positional needs at this moment in time at the greatest need, I should say. And it's, you know, tackle, wide receiver, linebacker, and you're only doing your BPA rankings and filtering it down to those positions. Again, you are being short-sighted. You have blinders on. You are limiting the cone of which you see. You know, the stupid QB vision cone in Madden is what comes to mind. Life is a lot harder when you have a smaller cone out there on the field and you need to really move it around to see what you want to see. Why not just have a massive cone so you can see the whole picture and things will come to you much easier. You need to have just a mindset of best player available. If Jack Campbell is there, but Zay Flowers isn't and so on and so forth and your tackles don't look great, but then you have this edge rusher that rates higher overall to you than Jack Campbell. 
if I'm Brandon Bean, you still take that edge rusher. You take the best player available. It's all about the overall spectrum of what you like. If say they, you know, we know the bills at this point in time have a certain number of guys. They rank as first round, you know, first round ability, first round projection. These are our seven guys we have when it comes to first round. And obviously that's outside of the, you know, bona fide superstars, elite guys, because they know realistically they are not going to find themselves in that top five or top 10 conversation unless they really sold the house to do so. So those are of course on there too, but then they probably limit it down to about seven guys that they really love. They value as a first round prospect. And these are their guys and they're going to come out with one of them, whatever they need to do. If all of a sudden there's a run on them and they notice their seven goes down to three within five picks, they're going to be like, okay, we need to do something here right then and now and make a decision either to trade up and get one of them or move out because they're trying to get the best player available after evaluating all positions to get one of those guys they have that great at. And if they're not able to, they're going to move out and not wait, you know, not just sit there and be complacent at 27 because there's a bit, bit of an asset mismanagement there. If you don't, like anyone at your pick, but then still take someone there. That is just irresponsible with that pick. There is something to be done where it's like, hey, who wants to trade in at the late first because they like someone and we'll take, you know, say uh, early second and a sixth or whatever, whatever it might take. I'm just throwing out randomness here, but whatever it takes to have that team trade in. Now you get a couple more assets and you're just going to, you know, pile up something else because you have some guys you like early day two on your board and you think realistically that is smarter decision to be made. It's there to just focus in on Jack Campbell, just to focus in on Zay flowers. My draft crush of this year is irresponsible. You always have to remember BPA is the number one rule of the draft. Always draft best player available, plain and simple. I agree with you hundred percent. And with all that said though, let's talk about Jack Campbell, because I think if the bills are going to in into this draft, looking to replace Tremaine Edmonds, it's hard to find a better answer than Jack Campbell, because when you look at his size, 6'5", 249, stacks up very nicely against Tremaine Edmonds. One of the only true Mike linebackers in this class. There's a lot of smaller, quicker linebackers, more hybrid types, and uh, Jack Campbell is not that. He can stack and shed very well, has very good play strength. Um, coverage, very strong. He had a 92.9 coverage grade, according to PFF. Only 236 yards allowed on 418 coverage snaps. That's amazing. He has a great feel for zone coverage, which we know the Bills like to live in. But he's not a perfect prospect. None of these guys are. He's not overly twitchy. Um, he had a good combine, but he doesn't necessarily play to that speed, particularly in the run game. Um, he's not going to get sideline to sideline at the elite level. It's pretty average by NFL starter standards. You can get by with it, but it's not like he's going to be a liability out there, but he's not going to pop. And then the running game, he's a little passive. He doesn't attack the hole with the aggression you'd like to see. So, Luca, Jack Campbell to me is a top of the second round, middle second round pick that I, I think that's where he belongs. 27 feels a little bit rich for him. We've kind of already made that case for why we think that. But whether the Bills trade back or they do splurge and take him at 27, overall, how do you like the player? As the player himself, without understanding where I think he is in this draft, where he falls and everything like that, I do like a lot about Jack Campbell's game. I think. When it comes to this, you know, I call him inside linebacker group just because it eliminates the outside linebacker slash edge rush hybrid guy that's in there. We're talking about linebackers in the sense of 
standing up in, you know, in the sake of the bills, they don't run outside linebacker edges. They're, you know, Milano's Edmonds, stuff like that. He's kind of the one guy in this draft that you have the most understanding of, of what you're getting out of him. And there's value in that. And he, like you say, one of the only, he, to me, realistically is the only Mike linebacker in this draft. There is not one other guy to me in this draft at this kind of style of linebacker that remotely screams Mike linebacker. There's a lot more off ball guys. There's a lot more guys that are just kind of coverage speedier or shiftier linebackers. And then there's Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell is the one and only guy who really is realistically is, you know, on the, he's just your true Mike. He's, he's almost a throwback in a weird way. Like I've seen it even a couple times elsewhere where it's like, this guy is more of a throwback. So realistically, do you want that style linebacker for you? And that's to me also where I'm like, I know the bills like, like a lot of linebackers like him, but at the same time, I don't think of the bills defense as one that fits an old school throwback linebacker. They need to be quick, agile and things like that because you need to cover more space. You don't have kind of these guys on both of your sides covering your outsides and you can really keep it inside the tackles. And to me, that's where Jack Campbell kind of, he can get sideline to sideline, but I think the point of you making with him not being as twitchy, not and things like that, where also Another thing I noticed a lot of people say, and then if you watch some game tape and it's noticeable is he loves to fall for like that pre-snap eye candy. He loves to, he, he almost overthinks everything all the time, which is great because you know, he's trying to really dissect things pre-snap. He's trying to make an effort to do stuff. But if you're falling for all these things constantly, you go up against an Andy Reed type, you go up against an offense like that you're probably going to be in no man's land all the time. And then you don't have that four, four speed or, you know, whatever you want to call it, elite linebacker speed to then recover and make sure you cover that ground quick. And then since he's a throwback, you don't again, have that help outside of you to then take care of that kind of fault. There's, there's things about him that I'm like, I don't know necessarily why you would take him at 27, unless the board works out a crazy way and, or we're just, not seeing something or understanding something with him that people in the inner circles understand. It's just, there's a lot to like about Jack Campbell as a player, but I feel like there's enough deficiencies or just kind of limitations with him that I don't see it when it comes to pick 27. I'm with you hundred percent though, pick 32, which is the start of the second round this year and back, you know, the top 10 of the second day that makes a lot more sense for a player like him. That, that to me is perfectly where he will. I could easily see though, someone at the beginning of day two, then trading into the first round, if they really needed it to get a guy like him as well, I can understand that you just have to be in love with him. If you're a team that, you know, looks at him and just absolutely needs him on your team. So if it's not Jack Campbell and the bills do go linebacker early ish, or even at 27, another name out there has been drew Sanders. 6'4", 235, is only 21 years of age. Um, his issue is he's a former edge rusher converted to off-ball. That doesn't have to be seen as an issue, but if the Bills are going aggressive after a linebacker, the thought process is this person needs to come in and start right away. We're talking about beating out Tyrell Dodson or beating out Terrell Bernard, and that just has to happen if you're spending a day one or a day two pick on one of these guys. And while Drew Sanders does bring a lot of upside as an off-ball linebacker that can also rush the passer and he has a nose for the quarterback, everything about his zone defense is he has poor eyes, gets easily distracted in the backfield. He can be a nightmare on play action. 
And he's just raw. Not a lot of experience in coverage in those situations dealing with the eye candy Luca was just talking about. What are your thoughts on him, Luca? And is there another linebacker other than Campbell that you think should even be in that conversation at pick 27? Um, Drew Sanders, first and foremost, is not in the pick 27 conversation for me. Raw is just the perfect, perfect label for him. He is he is the attributes you would like to see. He's got the size. He's got length and understanding decent enough speed and stuff like that. He's actually faster based on metrics than Jack Campbell. But it's like, yeah, he, everything when it comes to actual abilities and understanding of the position, he is extremely raw. So he would be kind of a like high end pro, uh, project, I guess, would be the way to describe him. The one guy at 27 that I wouldn't mind flirting around with, you know, that I would put in the conversation with Jack Campbell, just as another name is Trenton Simpson out of Clemson. I think there's a lot to like about him. He's very quick at a four, four, three 40 um, and stuff like that is athletic ability as an off ball linebacker is there. And some, I think he has recovery. You know, you talked about also the yards allowed in coverage abilities of Jack Campbell in two seasons. This guy's only allowed 353 yards on 66 targets. That's unbelievable numbers. And he does have a very, very, very good understanding of how to play coverage and can even understand and cover wide receivers that are on their intermediate routes in his, you know, in his region while keeping his eyes in the backfield. Like he is a very, very good feel linebacker that to me fits. He might not be as athletic freak wise that the bills like in a linebacker, but the way he plays and his understanding of the position to me fits way better with what they try to do with their linebackers. And that's just my opinion. And I'm, I feel like I'm allowed to have that. And if you disagree, you're absolutely allowed to disagree with me, but there's just so much more about his game that kind of reeks a little bit more like what the bills look for in a linebacker. And I, the one knock he has is he's just overly aggressive. He trusts his speed and he's running downhill. He's running sideline to sideline and cutback lanes and things like that. in the run game are just wide open against this guy because he's just overly aggressive. He trusts himself a little bit too much and he just leaves himself exposed after one cut. It's that's his big knock. And, and honestly that patience, I feel like patience is a thing you can learn and get coached. That is something that, uh, you know, film and things like that. And just constant attention by coaching staff will eventually address and someone that is overly aggressive and wants to do that can kind of be honed in a little bit and understand how to play his role a little bit better through the years. And that's why I kind of really like Trenton Simpson out of Clemson. He's a very intriguing athlete. He played some slot coverage in 2021. He was that overhang defender. You mentioned really the only thing he's lacking is experience. And you see that shown up sometimes when he has some of those growing pains out there. But that also, you know, kind of enhances the conversation of if the Bills are going to dip their toe early in linebacker, they need somebody to come in right away and start. And Trenton Simpson is kind of another one of those guys that as much as you would like to see him grow, the Bills spending an early pick, that's where I keep coming back to Campbell. He's plug and play. He's going to be pretty good right off the bat. He may never be great, but he's probably good enough to start. They need somebody to come in and start right away if they are viewing it as that kind of a need. Um, I don't necessarily need them to be that aggressive there. Another name that snuck into some first round mocks last week was Nate Herbig, 6'2", 240, another edge rush conversion, uh, too small to be an edge really, even in college. So they moved him to off ball. He has really good change of direction skills. Even when he's asked to drop into coverage, 
the problem is he has very, very limited coverage snaps in college, only 46 snaps of man coverage. So that's a guy you draft. You love his traits, but I wouldn't be stunned if that's the kind of player that you you come in and he gets beaten out by Terrell Bernard or Tyrell Dotson just because he has so much work to do. Um, I'll let you comment on him if you want. Another player I really like, this would be more of a day two, day, probably not day three. This would probably be round two or three. Dorian Williams, 6'1", 228. He's going to be 22 years old when the season starts. One of the best coverage linebackers in the class. Now, at 6'1", 228, he's probably a little too small to be a traditional Mike. And I want to hear your thoughts on that because I know you've had some thoughts on what the Bills truly want to do with their Mike linebackers. But what I love about him is not only how comfortable he is in zone and how adaptive he is at coverage, but he has a 6'8 wingspan, and that can negate some of the size issues you see with tackles getting their hands on him. Um, even if he never does grow into a mic, he does put his nose out there and run support. He can get swallowed up a little bit by second-level blocks. By the way, Tremaine Edmonds did not do well with second-level blocks. He was always a huge player, but did not play huge when being taken on by offensive linemen. And he does struggle a little bit in the run game. But in general, if you don't get linebacker in the first couple of rounds and Dorian Williams is sitting there, Luca, I would run the name up there in round three and just figure out a way to get him on the field. Dorian Williams is a guy I circle as well. Uh, our mock 0.0 drafts. I thought it was funny. We didn't talk to each other or anything like that. We landed on the same first round pick, but we also landed on the same third round pick for the Bills. And that was Dorian Williams. And I don't even know if you, I did know a little bit about Dorian Williams going into that, but I don't know if you did. And yeah, the first thing that popped to me immediately was that 80.75 inch wingspan. It's like, holy crud, this guy has length. And that is one thing that the bills love with their linebackers. Secondly, he's a great athlete and phenomenal in coverage. As you said, a lot of people consider him, consider him to be one of the best coverage linebackers in this year's draft. It's just that he ha he struggles with people on him. He can't shed blocks very easily. He's is it's very very difficult for him to defend the run only because if an offensive lineman gets to that second level, he just cannot get off of it and everything like that. But the other part of it is he does like to pursue the ball as much as he can. He just takes plays off at times and that's another knock on him that I feel like is why he's falling in this second to third round range here. But when you watch him and he is putting in effort and everything like that. And in the open field, by the way, he is a phenomenal tackler. It seems like he also hits hard. Like he looks like a DB out there at times, but then he nails you like a linebacker. And it, it reminds you of who he is. He has a very, very, very hard hitting kind of mindset. He's, he's violent almost at times. And he is a good tackler overall in open space. And that's another thing that the bills with DBs and linebackers, they definitely, definitely look for in a player so when it comes to a third round guy I feel like he is someone that they absolutely would love to take with the mindset of hey he might just be another kind of wrote maybe they look at that linebacker position not necessarily as a Milano and Edmonds workhorse just we want these two healthy at all times maybe that guy next to Milano is rotated a little bit more into situations, what feels better for the game plan, whatever they're trying to do. And maybe Dodson works better in here, but then all of a sudden you need a Dorian Williams out there who he doesn't necessarily have the traditional size of a linebacker, but when it comes to you're playing a pass happy team, a, a team you need a lot of coverage and to cover a lot of space, he seems like a phenomenal guy for that job. Whereas maybe Dodson couldn't 
necessarily have that kind of speed and length that he does. And you're plugging him in a little bit more for certain situations and stuff. And there's a lot to like about him that maybe you can then eventually develop him, maybe build him up a little bit. And then he can become that every down guy and kind of learn on the fly while also not being depended on, you know, every single down in every game. Yeah, Dorian Williams competing with Terrell Bernard and Tyrell Dodson is my ideal way for the Bills to attack this position. Throw a mid-round pick on top of your mid-round pick from last year and your veteran who's been in the system. And maybe Balen Spector becomes something too. Let those guys go out there and compete and let the best person play on what should be a very solid defense. And you don't need your middle linebacker to be the best player in your defense. You just need them to fill their role. A couple other names out there that you know are intriguing, but I'm not sure they're... Um, necessarily scheme fits Noah Noah Sewell very good blitzer knows for the ball but again maybe more of an outside linebacker rusher kind of small for that role but he, he's another guy that struggles in coverage and zone awareness if you want to take a shot on an athletic freak DeMarvian Overshone 6'3 229 he's very lean though there's some concerns that he might even be too lean to survive in the middle in the NFL as an every down linebacker may have to be more of like a joker overhang type kind of player but very good athlete, just very raw. Any other names at the linebacker position you'd like to mention, Luca, or have we covered all the guys that you think are worthy of Bill's conversation? I think when it comes to Bill's conversation and just a fun one that I'm going to have, this is this is going to be one of those guys I'm just going to pay attention to during the draft and see where he ends up because he's the most fascinating to me when it comes to this style linebacker, and that's Owen Popoa. Popo, Popo. <laughs> I'm saying that. It's out of Auburn. Owen out of Auburn. He is just speed, speed, speed. He is the only sub 4440 linebacker when it comes to this style linebacker in the draft. Um, he's only six foot 225. He is not a guy of size, but when it comes to kind of flashing speed all over the place and just kind of popping into frame all of a sudden, he is just the kind of he's not the best pass coverage linebacker but he is the fastest in this draft and i would just love to see what team he seems like the kind of guy where it's like hey we need a kind of faster guy to match up on this tight end or whatever you know running back if they're trying to play a lot of pass with the running back and then we just need someone with a little bit more size than your traditional db to match up on them and you just plug this guy on him like you just like hey, all right we're going to teach this guy how to be kind of that um What's the term like uh, the old Bruce Arians Cardinals linebacker? Like mm -hmm. you got that undersized linebacker that's really there for coverage and to man up on someone like that's what he seems like to me. And I'm just fascinated by him. So he's really the only other name I have. Yeah, it's it's like Dorian Williams um, is what we talked about, where it's like day two for the Bills. That's where my mind is at. And that's the guy I like the most. Uh, Owen out of Auburn, just because I can't pronounce his last name. Um, I think he's just the most fascinating, although I feel he's kind of a third round guy just because it's the speed and nothing else. And then uh, the only other name I really wrote down was kind of uh, Dalian Dalian Henley out of uh, Washington State. He's another guy that's kind of a faster, undersized linebacker. It just seems to be the theme in this draft. Just a little bit of speed, but undersized kind of decent in coverage can take away wide receivers and tight ends at times in coverage, but you got to keep him clean. Like he can get easily bullied. He he doesn't necessarily have the pursuit or nose for the ball in the run game at all, but in coverage, you can ask him to do a lot and he should be able to be okay at that. So it seems like there's a lot of those kinds of linebackers, whereas the most promising one that I've seen and you've seen, of course, as well as Dorian Williams. So that's just kind of where it goes. 
We've spent a good 35 minutes on linebackers. We will not be spending that long on each position group tonight. We just feel like linebacker is that one position that Bills fans are kind of antsy about right now. So we wanted to make sure we addressed it only not only from the need perspective, but the players available to the Bills. Let's kick down the defensive tackle, Luca, because I think that's a position that is sneakily becoming a need for the Bills. Joe Biscalia um, of The Athletic, who covers the Bills draft as good as anybody on the beat, said that if he were going to narrow down the Bills' first-round picks, he would say um, wide receiver, defensive tackle, linebacker, or safety. We'll talk about safety in a second because I completely disagree with that. But <laughs> the logic on defensive tackle is even though they have Daquan Jones, Ed Oliver, and then Tim Settle and Jordan Phillips, who they brought back a couple of weeks ago, all of those guys only have one year left on their deal. Now, it seems that they could go out and extend Daquan Jones now. They could actually lessen their cap hit in 2023. He played very well for them last year. That's a move that makes sense. Ed Oliver is a very complicated conversation. We have had multiple times this offseason. You can go back and listen to those. Stokes and I even made an entire video dedicated to Ed Oliver. But um, the, the long story short version is um, he has not played at the elite level that you were hoping when you spent the ninth overall pick on him and some of these contracts that are coming in for defensive lineman Jeffrey Simmons signing over the weekend are going to be way too rich for the production Ed Oliver gives you. So it feels like this is a marriage that's going to end next offseason with at least letting him go out and test free agency. And uh, the Bills are going to have to stock the shelves not too dissimilar from the conversation we had last year at linebacker where it looked good on top, Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. But Luca was sitting here telling us like linebacker is a sneaky need for this team because uh, Tremaine Edmonds is a free agent and all the linebackers after Milano are a free agent. And the bills went out and drafted two of them, including one in the third round. So I understand the need for defensive tackle where I would stop short of thinking that first round is necessarily in the conversation unless the value is too good to pass up is I still don't necessarily see the path to playing time for a first round defensive tackle because it's hard for me to believe that really any rookie that would be available to the Bills at pick 27 would come in off the bus as a rookie and be better than Daquan Jones or at Oliver. You're talking about really upgrading the Tim Settle position, which is the rotational defensive lineman which isn't bad, but for a team that really took a lot of flack last year for drafting Terrell Bernard in the third round and had no path to playing time for him and then took Kyrie Elam in the first round, and he couldn't get on the field while Xavier Rhodes was out there. I'd be a little hesitant about spending a first-round pick on a defensive tackle, Luca, but there are some dudes at this, in this draft, and if, a, and if one of those guys falls to them, I'd feel a lot better about it. Absolutely. That last part of your statement is exactly where my head's at it's like look do i think nose tackle defensive tackle is kind of the necessary thing or the thing that makes a lot of sense here at 27 no not really but there are some guys in this draft that could find their way falling all the way to 27 or at least into the kind of 20s mid 20s where if all of a sudden the bills decided to trade up to 25 because, you know, Bean got his good old buddy on the phone was like, Hey, do you want, can we trade up to 25? Cause we really like this guy. If they like some of these guys and move up to take one of these guys, I would even be okay with it because there is some serious high end potential with these individuals. And the reason they would be falling is just because for instance, another position we'll get into here edge. There's just an abundance of them 
where edge is a very premium position in the in the league and you're probably going to see a lot of teams go on a run with those and then also the quarterbacks of course are at top next thing you know you're 15 picks into the draft and not one single defensive tackle is gone and all of a sudden they keep falling because these other teams have other needs as well or they like other players better so on and so forth so yeah defensive tackle is not the one that from the outside you know of the draft sitting here just thinking about the position as a whole i'm not really necessarily thinking is a high priority at 27 but with that in mind there are individuals that if they fell to 27 I would be ecstatic about, and it's like, Hey, this is, it's somewhat realistic that they could end up there. Cause I'm not talking about Jalen Carter, of course, but you know, it's like, there is a chance. And if they're there, I fully understand that that becomes a BPA situation for being to take that individual there. And it, it would be, I, I, I think the one part I disagree with you a bit is I'm okay with that is because now you're improving that rotation and they play a heavy rotation and I am okay with that mindset. It's like, you're bringing this guy in. Yes, uh, he's not a listed starter, but I feel like, what does that mean? 10% less snaps than the guy in front of him, especially at that position. I'm okay with that at a premium pick with that first round 27th overall. That's okay with me. You're still getting meaningful minutes being a you know rotational interior defensive lineman for this team. So you meant, sorry about that. I was on mute. So you mentioned Jalen Carter. He is certainly not in the first round conversation for the bills. He's going to be in the top 10, maybe even top five. The only weakness to his game is he, he can be a little bit of a bad person, potentially hard, hard to coach, uncoachable, had some off field issues. Um, but, you know, I, I heard a great quote. Teams only care if about off field issues, if it's going to cost you playing time. And there's no reason to think that's going to cost him playing time. He's going to go in the top 10. Not a whole lot of reason for us to sit here and really even talk about him. Luca, who's the next best guy in this class? And is there is that person, whoever that is in your mind, somebody that could follow the bills at pick 27? Uh, the next best, in my opinion, is Kalijah, Kalijah Kansi out of Pitt. That is my next best defensive tackle. And some may find that a little bit surprising because he's not the traditional measurables of a defensive tackle. But everything you see, his combine first and foremost was fairly impressive. But then also on tape, he's he's an individual that seems to, other than in the run game, really, and that's just kind of a limitation in the reality of being a little bit undersized. But he plays a lot bigger than he is and has a ton of upside when it comes to pass rush and really understands how to use his strength and size to kind of get leverage, move guys out of his way that are clearly bigger than him and get to the you know, get to the quarterback a lot quicker than you would expect for someone of his size. Like there's a lot to him that pops on tape and things like that. I'm not one of these people that's going to be like, Hey, he's clearly the next Aaron Donald just because of all the similarities when it comes to, he played at Pitt. He was also an undersized defensive tackle and stuff. And that's ridiculous to call him kind of a three time defensive player of the year comp like that. You cannot put that kind of pressure on someone, but it's understandable to be like, Hey, he is kind of coming out of college into the NFL with similar undersized like measurables, but then still has strength and ability in the pass rush game that there is a potential for him to dominate inside the guard situation there. He's not going to be a one technique. He's going to be a three T guy just due to his limitations of size. But if he can get you that extreme high end dominance in the pass rush game interior wise, that is huge. And that's something that this team desperately needs in my opinion and to have him on a rotation with all these other guys oh 
that is just juicy at 27 where there is a chance he could end up. So I would just say I would find that to be pretty unlikely. And I hear everything you're saying about the player. I, I think he's very good prospect. The bills were burned in the 2019 draft by taking Ed Oliver and overlooking some of his measurables and assuming that some of his athletic abilities could overtake that. And maybe similar to somebody that just got out of a relationship where they were cheated on. Um, if they start dating somebody new who has a relationship with their ex and they're talking to them, you may not be as lenient because of old scar tissue. I think the bills, I don't think that they're going to, to take the undersized defensive tackle with Aaron Donald comps. Um, even if, if he turns out to be that, then, you know, it'd be a big miss on their part, but I just feel like there's probably other ways the bills will look. Cause right now they look really bad for what they did in that 2019 draft with Ed Oliver. Mozzie Smith is another guy who you hear about maybe in the first round, um, six, three, two twenty three, very explosive athlete, but probably a better athlete at this point in time, Luca, than an overall player. He wasn't productive on passing downs at all in Michigan. And you have some concerns about Mozzie Smith also that goes beyond how he plays on the field, right? Yeah, he's he does have a pretty sizable red flag uh, due to pleading guilty with a misdemeanor gun charge, I believe it was um, this past October, I want to say it was. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of people out there that kind of it's not just related due to a charge. It's kind of a known thing with this individual, you know, that led up to that misdemeanor charge as well. It seems like an off field kind of question mark there. And to me, like, I don't want to kind of overstep a little bit, but Mozzie Smith is a guy where athletically and things, there's a lot there. Yes, he's a run stuff kind of specialist to me more so than a pass rush ability kind of guy. But with that off field issue as well, or question mark, he's kind of at 27. I would be pretty surprised to see the Bills kind of interested in an individual like him. One guy I think could be in the conversation is Brian Breesy, 6'6", 298. He has violent hands and a really good first step. You see him split double teams a lot when you watch him. Um, he's had some adversity in his college career. He missed most of the 2021 season with an ACL injury. Unfortunately, he also dealt with the death of his sister, which you know some people that, that cover the team say that you know, that obviously had an impact on him, which you could only imagine. And so maybe he didn't play his best football in 2022, but very intriguing measurables. You don't see a lot of six, six defensive tackles, but from a leverage standpoint, but I, I like a lot of his skill set. And then my favorite idea in this draft for the bills, Luca is actually to attack defensive tackle on day two. And there's a guy out of Wisconsin, Keanu Benton, six, four, three Oh nine. And this, to me, is your one technique. This is your backup to Daquan Jones. This is the guy that if Daquan Jones has to miss a playoff game because he has a leg injury, then you aren't just giving up big run after big run to the Bengals because you have a backup there. And maybe you don't have to go out and pay Daquan Jones to be your nose tackle after next year. He's versatile enough to play either position, which I think in year one, he would need to be able to be that because he's going to be a rotational guy. So he'd have to back up Daquan Jones and Ed Oliver. Very good against the run, still needs to refine his pass rush moves, but plenty of upside. This is the kind of player I think in round two or three could be an absolute home run. For sure. Uh, Keanu Benton that you just brought up, and then Siaki uh, Ika. I, hopefully I said his name right. Man, I'm You're I picking some names, man. You're picking I some names. a lot of names today. Um, those are the two guys that I like the idea of the best as well, just because they're day two guys. 
And I think they fill a similar role of what you just described, right? It's a one technique kind of fill in. If Daquan were to have to miss, you could hopefully get the kind of production that you really saw with Daquan kind of when it comes to stuffing up a lot of lanes, kind of creating chaos due to their size and power in that inside and just making sure that nothing too much gets behind them and they just become these big roadblocks. They become the Snorlax kind of guy in the interior defensive line that just blocks everything in its way, just eats it up, kind of absorb as much as it can while also still having athletic ability to kind of like get across the line of scrimmage a little bit. They have athleticism to them where it's not like, you know, two steps and they're basically down and, you know, just, useless essentially at that point they have a little bit of athletic ability i will say keanu is more of the athlete than uh siaki ika uh he is one guy that the big knock on him that i've noticed and i've even seen like if you watch a little bit is he does fall down a lot he is not a guy who plays with great balance so for someone that is 335 pounds and six foot three that's not exactly a great thing um, whereas Keanu Benton is a guy who plays a little bit more balanced, has a little bit more athleticism to him. So I do like your idea a lot. Like I had him just above Ika, um, for my kind of like tier two, as I call it, just cause that's more of a day two guy. I view, um, I love that idea. I think Keanu is definitely someone that could kind of go into that rotation and fit a really good need in that rotation when it comes to the interior defensive line. And if the Bills are looking for a lotto ticket, an athletic upside pick, Zach Pickens is a guy that can make a lot of sense. And here, I'll do you a favor, Luca. I'll pick a hard name to pronounce. Adotamawa Adabaware is a very, very high-end athlete. He looks like he's still trying to figure out football a little bit, which, you know, you see him in one-on-ones and he just absolutely dominates people. But it within the scheme of a team on defense still looks a little bit lost out there. That's somebody I think that if you get on day two, early day three, and this is the perfect situation for him because you have veterans out there. He could just play behind, even settle in Phillips year one and just see what you have next year. Just redshirt him essentially, you know, groom him up, see what happens. But that's a pretty strong look at the defensive tackle group. I think there's some names in there. I I think day two is the sweet spot for the Bills. Anybody else you want to mention at defensive tackle before we move on? Um, no, I, I love that you took the lead on. So I love that kid out of Northwestern. I'm just going to say kid out of Northwestern. Yeah. because His name is a fascinating one. Um, Double A. It's interesting with, yeah, it's interesting with him only because everywhere you look, I've seen him listed at different positions. It's yeah. like interior defensive line. When I look at him, honestly, I look at him as an edge more than anything mm-hmm. else. He really seems more of an edge guy. I'm, I find it fascinating that you do see him listed as an interior defense, an interior defensive lineman at certain places. Um, but yeah, he is like the definition of combine hero, raw athlete, who like everything you look at, there's no tools in his toolbox. He has zero tools. He was relying on raw athleticism and just trying to figure it out as he was going. Um, I I personally love that because I think that me maybe as long as he's coachable, you could really take that kind of raw athleticism that is very freak-like and just kind of, he has nothing that he's going to lean on. He's got no kind of um abilities or stuff that he knows works before or worked before so he's going to kind of have that kind of uh, handicap we'll call it he's going to be open to trying anything hopefully and just kind of build himself as a pro as the years progress and in a situation for instance with the bills where you're only rotating them in anyways like that to me if you can get him in the second or third round is fascinating 
I do see him a lot though coming, you know, really early on day two, or even sometimes a team I'll see mocks yeah. that do trades, a team that trades to 30, 31 to take him just because of that incredible combine he had. Um, it makes sense if a team did that, like you, you just fall in love with, you know, 40 times and all that kind of stuff, it, you know, all those things. Like I can fully understand that along with an 81 and five eighth inch wingspan, which is whoo with 10, by the way, 10 and a half inch hands. Like he is just a massive long human being. Like I can get, if someone falls in love with that, but we don't need to get in anymore yet. No, I don't really have anyone else when it comes to interior defensive line. It kind of really falls off a little bit after the guys we talked about. Yeah, much like Darnell Washington and uh, Quentin Johnston, I think he's a guy that NFL coaches are going to just look at his his attributes and think we can coach him up. NFL coaches have massive egos, and they would look at what happened in college and say, oh, well, we'll get our hands on him and we'll fix him. And when you're right, you wind up with guys like Josh Allen, and it can change the course of your franchise. So they feel pretty good about themselves. So I, that, I agree with Luca completely. Come day two when teams reset their board, I think you could see that. Let's talk about Edge, the other defensive line group. And I think this is one of those ones that has a larger conversation that needs to be had <clears throat> because Brandon Bean, since becoming the Bills GM, has had a type when it comes to Edge. He's liked longer players with long arms. Greg Rousseau, 6'6", 34-inch arms. Boogie Basham, 6'3", 33-inch arms. AJ Epinesa, 6'5", 34-and-a-half-inch arms. He spent money on Trent Murphy, 6'6", 34-inch arms. It wasn't until last offseason, Luca, that he brought in Von Miller, who, unlike those other guys, is under 250 pounds, is only 6'3", 33.5-inch arms, so right there with Boogie Basham. But Von Miller is the first guy that Brandon Bean has brought in that is more of a speed edge bender, pass rush first, um, twitchy. He's looked for more power and length with his defensive linemen. And I wonder, as the conversation starts to go toward what they're going to do with that fifth defensive end spot, because they haven't brought back Shaq Lawson. We thought maybe they'd look at a veteran like a Melvin Ingram or a Frank Clark that's still available to them to do that. But if they attack it in the draft, considering Von Miller was by far their, their most explosive defensively in last year when he was healthy, I wonder if Brandon Bean is potentially looking at a philosophy shift where it's not maybe always about length and about power and setting the edge in the run game. And maybe he is more open now to the twitchier, quicker edge bending defensive ends. What do you think about that? I think Von Miller coming to this team and kind of showing him what a player of his style. Now we're talking about a hall of famer here. Yeah. So of course you're getting the best of the best. But of that build and style, which, as you pointed out, is kind of different than everything we've seen in the past when it comes to the draft and other individuals he's brought in. It's like, oh, this is the impact someone like him and his build and style could bring to this defense and really elevate things in a different manner. I think you're on to something a little bit there. And that is why you haven't seen Shaq Lawson come back or, you know, really they've kind of left uh, themselves uh, exposed is a bad word. Cause that kind of has a negative connotation to it, but they've left themselves open to the idea of a lot of different guys out there when it comes to free agency and, or the draft. And then when it comes to the draft specifically edge is an interesting conversation because this is kind of the position that there is a lot. There are a lot of edge guys and of all different 
you know, make makes and models. There is a ton of a, a diverse, large group of edge rushers. We just talked about one and kind of being an interior edge hybrid kind of guy, just because he's just a raw athlete. You can really mold him into whatever you want him to be, honestly. But there are a ton of different style edges and things like that. And there's one guy who is my number one overall superstar in this draft. He's going to be a superstar slash potential Hall of Famer. And then after him, it really Will Anderson. Did, yeah, Will Anderson Jr. Yeah. Just spoiler alert. He is going to be an yeah. absolute superstar. Um, after him, I feel like it's very opinionated on who you have next and who you like, because I'm looking at your notes, who you have shared with me. And instantly the guy you have at number two, I have at number four. Like it's, but I think that's fair. Like there's a lot of things to like about different edges in this draft. And there's a lot of different guys out there where it's like, you're going to get things that they are better than others at. And then you're going to get things that they're not quite as good at compared to those others. And there's just a lot of styles and variety out there that at pick 27 for the bills, it could get very, very interesting. And I'm sure a lot of fans would not be thrilled with an edge guy coming in at 27, but it to me is sneakily the most realistic pick there because of how many there are and what will be available by the time they are picking at 27. I'm with you. I think it's a sneaky need. I think it's something to keep in mind, even on the first night of the draft. And I will just tell you, you're looking at my notes and that is not the way that I rank them. That's when it came to edge specifically, I wanted to get a good feel for who to cross off. Like I wasn't going to spend a whole lot of time watching Will Anderson. There's just not a lot of value in that as Bills fans. Um, you know, we're good there. But the second guy on my list, Lucas Van Ness, was the guy I saw most frequently after Anderson pop up in the top 10 of mock drafts. So that's how I have them ranked is how unlikely I think they are to follow the Bills. I share the same concerns with you on Van Ness. I think he's a better athlete than a football player right now. He's very strong against the run. You can put him in there. You can set the edge. I think he's another guy, though, we don't necessarily need to spend a whole lot of time on because I haven't seen many mocks where he falls out of the top 15. Uh, another guy that I think is probably not worth talking about, Tyree Wilson, 6'6", 271, 36-inch arms. I mean, Brandon Bean would just be drooling. Great length, but he ha he combines with that length. He has a very solid swim move really good hands. He still needs to refine the rest of his pass rush moves. And um, he did have a foot injury last year that shortened his season probably is what, you know, knocked him out of that top 10 conversation, but he could still go there. And just a little fun note on him. He was born in Alaska. So, you know, he can handle the Buffalo winter. I feel like Luca, from what I've seen, the Will Anderson, Lucas Van Ness, and Tyree Wilson, probably very unlikely to fall to the Bills. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but it feels like those guys not going to be in their range. When it comes to mocks, which I'm excited, by the way, so, you know, little plug here. We're going to be mocking some mocks coming up. Um, but when it comes to mocks, I will agree with you. That's basically all I'll come to because Lucas Van Ness, for instance, I really don't understand the top 10 value that they're putting him at. I, I genuinely just am kind of questioning it and confused by why a lot of these people are putting him there. But if that's where they're maybe all these individuals, these experts and whatever are just hearing that a lot of others are putting them there. Cool. That's honestly good by me because if he's going to be off the board early, but then all of a sudden you have a guy like miles Murphy available 
it's like, ooh, okay. Miles Murphy is an individual that if he somehow fell to the 20s, then I would be like, okay, figure it out, trade mm -hmm. up, get him before he's gone. Like, I don't understand how an individual like him could fall past 15, let alone get to the 20s. So, um, yeah, I just, there's a lot of confusion when it comes to that. But that kind of goes back to what I was saying when we first started talking about Edge. I feel like there's a lot of opinionated, different, opinions on this kind of class and just it's almost like there's so many guys and so many different styles of guys that it will be interesting to see how this draft board ultimately breaks down and who goes where because another guy like nolan smith very undersized but he's looked at as an edge because he's like a true outside linebacker edge so if you play if you are a three four style defense and you would need that guy who can set an unbelievable edge with speed to get to the quarterback that seems to be your guy. Like he, in this draft, he is your dude. Like this dude is can fly, but he's not going to be a four, three DN. Like he's just way too small for something. Yeah. Like that. So there's a lot of interesting individuals in this draft. So the draft board, honestly, to me, if Lucas Van Ness goes top 10, uh, cool, because I don't want to see him at 27, but ultimately it wouldn't surprise me because clearly they liked him for a certain specific reason. And that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. Nolan Smith, I'm with you. I didn't even know really what to do with him. I kind of put him in that off ball linebacker conversation for the Bills. And then he's another guy that was just too raw at that. I think he's going to rush the passer in the NFL. He's just very good at it. I just think it's going to have to be on a three, four Hassan team. Riddick. He is yeah. Hassan Riddick. I could see that. Or, you know, poor man's Micah Parsons even. Yeah. I think I think what you're seeing is a lot of these edge guys that like are too small to play edge that are now like off ball linebackers are getting boosted because of what Micah Parsons has done in the NFL. And maybe it's kind of like the Debo Samuel effect where last year, every receiver compared themselves to Debo Samuel. Maybe now every linebacker is comparing himself to Micah Parsons. Um, I'm a big fan of miles Murphy, six, five, 268, 34 inch arms on the athletic level of a guy like Trayvon Walker, who was the number one overall draft pick last year. Really good motor. He's the kind of person that you talk about first off the bus where your team shows up into another town and you're trying to win the intimidation game. He's the first player you send off the bus. Like, this is what we're all about. This is what we all look like. And then they look at him, they get intimidated. Kind of a silly saying, but it works for me. I mean, I'm with you. If he gets into the 20s, I would be thrilled with a trade up. And I know what people are thinking like, well, the Bills have some numbers there. What about Boogie Basham? What about AJ Epinesa? And my question back to you is, what about him? Like we've had three years to see AJ Epinesa evolve and he really hasn't. And Boogie Basham hasn't shown you much of anything in his two years. So you're talking about the fact that you could have Miles Murphy and Gregory Rousseau for the next five to 10 years together with whatever we have left of Von Miller. Sign me up. I, I would be all about that. Another guy that I think is worthy of taking a pick 27, Luca, BJ Ojulari. If that name sounds familiar, his brother was drafted a couple years ago by the Giants. And this is a guy that would fall under the category of Brandon Bean needing to go against what he has done at the edge rusher position outside of Von Miller. We talked about the Trent Murphy, Gregory Rousseau, Boogie Basham, AJ Epinesa, the types of players he's gone for. Ojolari 6'2", 248. He does have 34 and a quarter inch arms. He's probably more of a rush linebacker. He's a very good pass rusher. Not great against the run, but if the Bills are looking for a pass rush specialist that can come in 
bend the edge, be twitchy, give them some juice. Similar, similar to Von. I almost said that, and I want to smack myself. Right, similar to Von Miller, Hall of Famer, but on a similar style to Von Miller, where he's going to win with a variety of moves and not just try to rely on length. I think this is a guy that the Bills should consider. I'm not convinced that they have turned over that leaf, um, but if they have, I think he's a guy that would make sense at 27. Yeah, I love where your head was at with him. I think he's one of those guys that if they're trying to kind of change their mindset with their edge and they want to bring in a guy, he was definitely one. Another one where I was sharing, you know, we I was simpatico with you is um, I don't know if I necessarily see him at 27, but depending on how the board breaks down or whatever it is, or maybe they're in love with this guy, I see him kind of floating around that early day two situation. So who knows what happens if they'd maybe trade back because they ultimately want to get this guy early on in the second, but it's the same kind of mindset is Felix, uh, man, another great name, Phoenix and Udike Uzoma. I think I, I know I got the Uzoma part, right? Yeah. But, I feel good uh, about Uzoma. Yeah. Um, he's another guy too, that checks a lot of boxes when it comes to changing it up while still also having a lot of the attributes and at, you know, athlete like, uh, you know, measurables that the bills look for, but then, he doesn't just rely on athleticism. He, a lot of things you see with his positives is a lot of tools in the tool belt, you know, has a lot of different moves in rushing the passer and things like that. And he doesn't necessarily kind of stand out when it comes to his 40 time and stuff. But because of that, he doesn't just try to lean on that to beat the edge and kind of things like that. He is trying to set up moves, create opportunities in the rush based on what he is breaking out in front of them and can actually rush the passer doing so. It's a fascinating prospect to me that if they don't like anyone in, you know, at 27, my mind was this seems like a guy, if they really are trying to create something different on the edge and bring in someone else, he is easily someone I would love to see them trade back into that top 10 of day two with that, you know, get out of the first round, trade back a little bit, have someone else take their pick. And then you are ultimately trying to get this guy in those first eight to 10 picks of the second round, because I think he can make more of an impact on this team than you would probably think. Yeah. He he's very developed as a pass rusher and almost kind of like Jordan Addison, where sometimes you wonder, is he almost too developed? Like you're going to get what you're going to get, but I I'm with you. I, I like him a lot. Uh, Keon White's a guy that I think if the Bills are kind of holding true to their old ways, 6'5", 285, 35-inch arms, way better against the run than the pass. But if they took him with a decent pick, my question would be, why didn't you just bring back Shaq Lawson? Derek Hall, interesting athletic pedigree there. Electric speed off the edge, very twitchy, but still needs to refine his pass rush moves. That's a late day two, early day three kind of pick that I think could fit the bill. Um, any other names you want to get to here before we start talking about defensive backs? Uh, yeah, Isaiah Foskey out of Notre Dame. I think he's a guy that will end up falling on the draft board to where they're at, even potentially at 59, just because of the abundance of edge that's in this draft. And yet he's someone that I think, you know, he's tall. He's got a decent speed to his game. He does have some tools. It's just like um, the thing, the thing he's best at is being the first off the snap. And, and like, that's the thing I saw highlighted about him. And that's something that I think is an underrated kind of trait. I think that's huge. If you're on the defensive line, no matter where you line up, you need to be the first to engage in whoever's blocking you. You need to make sure you're kind of making the first step always. And he is incredible at that, you know, and it, it shows like, if you watch him, it's great. You know, it, the one thing that is he, the problem with him was, and this is why he's going to slide is you just run at him. 
like teams were just running at him at certain points and just eliminating his game because he's just not good. He doesn't kind of get off blocks and that's his big problem, but his measurables, things like that, a lot of stuff there is there and he's very, very quick off the snap. So if you can take all of that and kind of work on a little bit of his, of his game, getting him at say 59, I don't mind that at all in a rotation. Like you just hopefully don't put him in there on first downs when there's a likely chance that someone's going to run it right at you. It's like, Hey, like when you're playing Miami on first down, let's just not have this guy out there because he's probably going to be a liability. But if you need him in kind of quick off the snap in a pass rush situation, he could be a guy that could even make an instant impact. And then you just work on other facets of of his game from years on end. And hopefully it works out. Yeah. I I like that idea quite a bit. Let's uh let's rapid fire through defensive backs here. We got kind of a late start tonight because of my own tech issues, but I don't want to, you know, I want to kind of get out of here a little bit earlier so we aren't up till midnight recording this episode. But let's talk about safety because Joe Biscalia mentioned that as a sneaky need for the Bills, and I just don't agree. I really don't, and I understand the concern of Micah Hyde coming back from a neck injury and Jordan Poyer coming back on a two-year deal that really could be a one-year deal. But my issue with safety, Luca, even more so than defensive tackle, is you have Hoyden Pye. Hoyden Pye did it again. Poyer and Hyde, who are going to be on the field, are going to be your top two safeties no matter what, barring injury. You brought in Taylor Rapp, who is probably going to have a role on this defense outside of safety and is certainly a very high-end backup safety in this league. So you're talking about pick 27, I would raise my hand and say, what are the odds that player comes in year one and is even better than Taylor Rapp? Not super high. So there's not much of a path to playing time. And if you're worried about, well, in the future, what if Hyde falls off? What if Poyer falls off? What if Rapp leaves? To me, that's a push your problems into the future problem. Your safety group is ready to roll as is in 2023. You don't need to add anything else. And we haven't even talked about the potential of a DeMar Hamlin comeback or the potential of Christian Benford still cross training at safety or Cam Lewis. There's enough bodies there. There's enough high end talent there. I just think it would be, I would be annoyed unless it's a value pick. Like if the bills are looking at it, let me, let me get it up here. I want to make sure I have it. Brian branch who let's say they have him as the 15th ranked player in the draft and he falls to 27 then I would applaud it. Then you you got the best value. You didn't reach for need at linebacker. He's a guy that compares to guys like Minka Fitzpatrick. When you hear that, the versatility he has, fine. I understand it. I don't know what he's going to bring to your team much in 2023 because he's not going to get Hyde or Poyer off the field and Taylor Rapp is still here. Uh, but if you want to put him in the pipeline, I get it. Otherwise, I don't need this team to really do anything at safety. Not even in the first round, but any round after that. Yeah, and and you didn't even bring it up, which I'm actually surprised about. The other argument that kind of even leans into it more is, okay, so you're drafting because you feel like you're a little slim on depth for now, and there's a future aspect. It's like, well, what what happened to all this talk, which I don't really approve myself, but what happened to all this talk about Christian Benford being eventually moved to safety? It's like, if you're drafting a safety, it feels like it's contradictory in a way, and it's like, I don't understand that because now you're spending that premium pick on a safety. And on top of all of that, because I love college football so much and stuff like that. If I told you that the safeties in the 2024 draft are drool worthy, and I mean like the top five are drool worthy. I would hope Bean would also understand that early on and be like, 
Branch to me is a guy who I look at as borderline uh, first round. That's just my opinion. And now we're talking about if the value is good, you take him, which is fine. And he's the number one safety, I feel like, consensus-wise in this draft. There are, I'm looking at my way too early rankings, which I do make. I'm a little bit of a degenerate in that way. I have five guys that I would rate way higher than Branch. There is one guy who is six foot five and estimates to run a four four one forty. Just good lord. Um, th- there's way better talent if you're doing your job, looking ahead. If you're concerned about the future in next year's draft, that could fall to you. Why are you making it kind of that situation now? Because all it's almost like a double whammy and a negative. You're reaching for future purposes now on someone potentially this season. And on top of it, that means you're probably not going to do your due diligence and look at all of those assets possibly next season that could be there and potentially are most likely going to be better than that. It's like evaluate it all entirely if you're just looking at at a purely future. Now, if they do have a top 15 grade on branch and ultimately, like you said, he falls at 27 and they like it that much. Sell me on it. Sure. Absolutely. There's something you clearly love about this guy. You want to bring him in. Cool. That's awesome. I get it. But to me, just in a bubble, I don't understand it one bit. I'm with you on that. hundred percent. Safety is not a position I view at 27 as being even remotely possible unless they just somehow magically rate someone way higher than I do. In general, this isn't viewed as a great draft class overall like the talent in this class does not measure up with some of the classes we've seen and that's to be expected coming off of the COVID year where things were shaken up a bit players and eligibilities shifted from taking years off so a lot of talent was pushed into the draft class from 2021 and then like we've seen kind of some residual effects from 2022 and now it's really thinned out here in 2023 and you bring up a great point like if you have Brian Branch as a top 15 player is it because you truly believe he's a great safety or is he just the best of a really bad safety class? I think this is a really bad safety class. And much like Terrell Bernard, you took him in the third round last year because you had a perceived need this year. But did you look ahead and look at this class and think, okay, if we're not drafting him for now, we're drafting him for 2023. And how does he stack up against the guys we could get in the 2023 draft? And that's what you need to do with safety. Brian, I don't think Brian, I don't think they're going to take a safety and run one. I just really don't. But I, I like the way you put that, which is it, you don't want to view him as a top 15 pick. Even if he's a the 15th player on your board, you need to view him through the lens of how do you compare to 2024? Because the path for him doesn't really even start until 2024. And you've set one year of his career on fire with no real production on the field. One guy I think that could fit the bill. You'll see names like Antonio Johnson. No, thanks. Tall, 6'2", 198, uh, box safety to me. I think he's much more of a big nickel, cannot cover. Sidney Brown, athletic freak. I fall for athletic freaks all the time. This guy's tape is horrible. Missed tackles all over the field, has no instincts, can't play center field, and it's like, oh, well, he can play in the box, except he's not very physical. If the Bills want to take a flyer on a guy, and again, bad safety class, so I could say take a flyer on day three, This is a guy that in most drafts would be a day three pick. I think he could go in day two because of the lack of talent in this class. Jordan Battle, um, safety from Alabama, he has a great feel for the game. He's versatile enough to play deep or in the box. He's a good tackle, good tackler, good instincts. 
I think he's a guy that reads a lot like what you would think Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer read like coming out of the draft. The Bills are not looking for the flashiest of athletes at the safety position. They certainly won't thumb their nose at athletic traits, but they want smarts and instincts. You see that with Hyde and Poyer, and I think Battle is a guy that could fit that. Other than that, I didn't see a whole lot at the safety position that I would even be super excited about. Did you have any names you wanted to go through, Luca? Because in general, I think this class stinks. Uh, the, yeah, it's really funny because this is the, my way too early ranking started because of the safety class this year. <laughs> like I was looking at them and I'm like, wow, this is a whole boatload of flyers. Now that said, I think battle's going to go sooner than you think. I yeah. think battle's a guy who ultimately will be a day two guy, yeah. um, which I don't think the bills need to get involved in. I, I do. I share everything you said about him. Honestly, when it comes to safeties in this draft, he's probably the one I like the most just because safeties, I feel like the modern day safety, you have to just be a really smart individual. You don't need to necessarily be the best athlete out there. You need to be one of the smartest athletes out there. I think that's what makes Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer so great. They're not the best athletes at the safety position by any stretch of the imagination. That said, they're still great athletes, but they are smarter than almost anyone else out there. They see the game the best. And I mean, when you're the safety blanket of the defense, you really need to understand what's going on in front of you. So um, when it comes to flyers though, because I think that's kind of where safety could be something they do here. Uh, Ronnie Hickman out of Ohio state. He's one to me that kind of fascinates me. One, he's young, just first and foremost, he's only 21 years old. Two, he has a lot about uh, about him when it comes to that athleticism that is pretty promising and things like that. But three, he is a coverage style safety. He is not, as you said, in the box. He's not a run stuffing kind of uh, safety, things like that. And I think what the Bills are going to be needing coming up and what they like in their safeties is just primarily coverage. You don't need this guy to be dominating the run game and just being helping the linebackers all the time in that run game pursuit you need them to just kind of go back forward and he seems like the kind of guy that fits a little bit of that mold that it's like hey he might not necessarily be the biggest guy he might not be the guy that's going to help out your linebackers here and there but he's going to make sure his back forward is going to be good he's got the athleticism to cover the boundaries even if he lines up you know uh, in the middle area of the field and everything like that. And just, he would be a guy on day three, you take a flyer on and then just have them sit behind Hyden Poyer and just understand the style of play that they need to play in this defense and move forward from there. If it's future that you're concerned about. Yeah, I like that pick. And I, I think the Taylor rap just changes this entire conversation. We saw the drop off when Hyde went down and when Poyer was lit, laboring last year, this defense could not do what it wanted to do on the back end. You should have both of those guys back and a very high end backup and wrap. I just, I don't see the need to go after safety. Cornerback's an interesting position for the Luke, for the Luca, <laughs> tired Luca for the Bills because um, for the first time in a while, it feels like they're, they're, they're stocked up. They have Tredavious White coming back again off of the ACL injury from 2021. They have year two of Kyrie Elam and Christian Benford. They have Taryn Johnson in the slot who was just Mr. Reliable. And then they brought back Dane Jackson on a one-year deal. And it doesn't feel like there's a real path to anybody outside of, you know, unless the person just comes in and is great to unseating any of those guys in year one. But I will say the conversation about how good the bills have got are at corner has gotten a little aggressive for my take. And I, and I think, I think they're in a good spot here. I think they have good depth, but 
I'm not going to pretend like I didn't see Tredavious White struggle last year off the ACL. I have hope that he can come back and regain some of the old Tredavious White, but I think I think it's been a while since we've seen Tredavious White be a shutdown cornerback. I'm not convinced that's what he was even prior to the injury in 2021. I think he was struggling a little bit in 2021. I love Kyrie Elam. I know you love Kyrie Elam, but I don't think we need to live in this world where we're just going to pretend like he he was Sauce Gardner last year. He couldn't beat out Christian Benford. He couldn't beat out Xavier Rhodes, and he finally got on the field for whatever reason and, and looked great, but for whatever reason, he couldn't beat those guys out. So I don't want to just talk about him like he's a given. And then Christian Benford, sixth-round pick, we, we both like what we saw, but sixth-round pick, Dane Jackson, I mean, uh, he's great depth piece, but let's not talk about Dane Jackson like he's some reason not to draft a blue-chip cornerback that falls to you in round one. So my thought on cornerback is I don't need them to really do anything in the middle of the draft, like day two, day three, as like a, here's a decent prospect that you can kind of throw into the mix and see what you have, but I'm open to it in round one. If somebody they love falls to them and that's where it's like, Hey, this guy we had rated 15 to 20 falls down to 27. We think he can be a shutdown cornerback on the other side of Kyrie Elam for the next five years. I'm open to that because I've watched football my entire life. And I've never heard a coach say, Luca, uh, we have too many good cornerbacks. (laughs) Love the way you ended that. Um, corner like wide receiver, like edge, these are premium positions. These are elite positions. If you are the best team on that day in that position, you are having yourself a much better chance to win that game because of said positions. So yes, I share the same brain in the sense of if say a Joey Porter Jr. somehow slides down to you at 27, you should probably be taking him. That's what makes sense. I am not, I would not be upset about it whatsoever. I think, you know, there's a lot to like about guys like that. The other thing I will add to that is what I see corner in this draft being for the bills. Do not be surprised if you see one on day two, there are a lot of really solid guys that are going to be there day two that the bills. Honestly, I could see them liking a lot of these individuals like just based on how they look, their measurables, their instincts, how they play the game. They're not like, there's a lot of kind of guys that based on what they picked with Christian Benford and Kyer Elam, of course, and then Trey white, even in this equation. Now it's like, you look at these corners that are going to be there on day two. And it's like, you don't need them to come in and start day one and stuff like that. Of course. Cause as you said, the depth seems pretty solid at this point, but It's like, hey, there are question marks there. And all of a sudden you have this guy here that checks a lot of boxes of what they like to be here. And a point you brought up earlier in this episode is spot on. Coaches have egos. Coaches think they can do everything. And McDermott loves himself DBs and he loves to coach up DBs. So all of a sudden, if he sees a guy and I'm just looking at my notes right now, but if he sees a guy like Julius Brents and he's like, hey. I really like this guy. I think he's got a lot of potential. He's got length. He's got size. A lot of these things that I like in my DBs and corners specifically, and I'm going to bring him in here and kind of let him learn under Trey White, Kyrie now, and Christian Benford, other guys that I know have proven they can be a starter for me. And then maybe if I need to, he can come in and make an impact himself. Here you go. In the third or second round, depending on where he goes, if he fell at 59, if he was there at 91, now I have this guy. I could easily see that happening 
And uh, I, I'm not going to complain about it. It's a cornerback. Like I will never, if for the life of me, complain, ultimate, ultimately complain. Like I'll question it maybe, but I will never complain at any pick. If a team takes an edge, a quarterback, of course, uh, <laughs> a corner or a wide receiver, those are the four most important in tackle. I'll, 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 I'll do tackle in there too. Those are the five most in position, most important positions in the game of football. You have to be the better team basically at majority of those positions. You have to be. And it's like, if you're going to spend a premium pick on one of those five positions, I totally understand it under any circumstance. That makes sense to me. Well, I would complain a little bit if the bills took a quarterback, but I'm with you. I understand everything that you're saying. Um, I think, I think the two cornerbacks that are probably going to be way off the bills radar are Devin Witherspoon and Christian Gonzalez. They're probably going to go in the top 10. I mean, if they fell within the bills range, just go get them. Feel great about that. Uh, Joey Porter jr. Is a, a good name. You mentioned six, two. Um, he's, doesn't have necessarily elite, elite speed, uh, long arms, 34 inch arms, very sound tackler, which we know the bills like can be a little grabby at the top of routes, but we saw that with uh, Kyrie Elam last year. That, that did not make the bills shy away. The guy that we both really respect when it comes to scouting, Chris Sims could not talk enough about DJ Turner who ran a four, two at his pro day. 5-11-178, but a 4-2. He called him the Tyreek Hill of cornerbacks. Um, I don't know that I see the Bills drafting the 5-11 cornerback. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, it's when a guy runs a 4-2, you got to take notice. Um, 4-2, just don't even tell me the height. Don't even tell me the weight. I don't care if he is someone that I, and I'm not talking for 27. I don't think, there is probably going to be a team that potentially takes him in the first round and he's going to be the end of the first round. I don't see that blindly based on speed only. Like I feel like Sims is basically doing here. Um, but four, two, six, man, like that. Mm -hmm. It's just so insane to me to imagine that two seasons ago, the bills we're getting roasted by reek in the AFC divisional round. And we were like, we need speed in the secondary this guy answers that and some if you're as you said sims is calling him the tyreek hill of defensive backs it's like hey what's your answer to tyreek hill who's now in your division just having the tyreek hill of defensive backs yeah i, I mean he's young so i'm assuming reek would still get him on a double move or something like that it's just the nature of the beast but at least he would have the four two six speed to hopefully stay on his hip or at least within arm's reach of his hip rather than being five steps behind him after that double move. It's it's a fascinating prospect. I I love speed. I mean, speed wins all the time. It's just how the nature of the game. But at 27, it's tough for me only because it's like you are drafting him purely because of his speed. And I don't like there's a lot of things I see out there where it's like, you do see him in the end of the first round, but also you could see him there at the end of the second round. So it's a gamble based on his speed and where you just have him there. Another cornerback, maybe more so day two, early day three, Cam Smith, really good in zone, 6'1", 180. He's a playmaker, not great tackling, but uh, that's a guy I think the Bills could have some interest in, particularly as like a depth player. But, you know, I think we agree. I don't need the Bills to be overly aggressive here, but yeah, especially early in the draft, if there's a guy that they feel is really good value, 
give me the cornerback that's 20th on your board over the linebacker that's 30th on your board just because of what your needs look like in 2023. It takes one injury for your needs to change. So let's not worry too much about what your needs look like here in April. Let's just get the best football players, line them up and see what happens and get this city and this town a championship for once, hopefully. All right, Luke, any final thoughts on the defensive class? Anything we didn't cover tonight you want to get into before we spin it forward to next week? No, um, I'm I'm excited to start mocking through mocks and then eventually have our own mock draft show that uh, we enjoyed last season. And I know we're going to enjoy even more so this year. Um, I think the fun part about doing the defense now, and obviously we did the offensive personnel last week and then did wide receivers exclusively this past Friday night. And now we're doing defense overall. The kind of mindset doing through this process is, I genuinely do not have a really great idea as to what the bills are going to do. I, I think the thing that creeped in my head more and more as we are going through the, all of this. And as I was doing it specifically was there is a legitimate chance. The bills trade out of 27. Like I, <clears throat> the report came out earlier this week or this past week um, that they are, you know, trying to move up potentially for a player. I really think that it's, you know, they're probably just doing their due diligence. They're just calling all teams, seeing what it would take. I think that, you know, you kind of have that on the board, right? You have it on display. If we want to move up to pick 22, this is what it would cost us. Things like that. You're just doing your homework. I think it's more realistic that the bills trade out of 27, which for our live show purposes Ooh. is going to stink royally. But I think in a, you know, when it comes to business, it makes sense. I think there's just no home run pick for the bills based on everything we've gone through at that pick or even around that pick. I think if the board falls in a way that we're not expecting it, then potentially they have something, but that's what it will take. I think it's the, like the way the board most likely looks like it's going to fall. Doesn't necessarily to me scream like the bills are going to take someone at 27. It's going to take something unexpected to happen in order to see them utilize that first round pick more so than anything else. So um, I'm not trying to tell you to brace for disappointment if you have a guy in the first round you love, but it's definitely something that's on the table more so than it's been in years past. That's the way I'll put it. We will be on the air live for our live show. Even if the bill is trade out, you'll get to see our disappointment live in the flesh as we are like, oh, we waited three hours for this. But I think it would be smart, especially if you're looking at someone like Campbell, trade out, get into day two, maybe get another third or a fourth round pick, flip one of those for DeAndre Hopkins, and now you're cooking with gas. I mean, Brandon Bean, he has not traded down in the first round yet in his career as Bill's GM, and he's traded up multiple times. Trade up for Josh Allen. Trade up for Tremaine Edmonds. Trade up for Kyrie Elam. So maybe we'll see him go the other way. But Luca and I will be back on Friday night live on Bill's Chat Live for Mocking the Mocks. We are going to be taking a look at some of the best mock drafts that come out this week, tell you what we think of what they had the Bills doing in that situation, And we're not going to obviously make fun of anybody, but we will let you know if we agree or disagree with how those mocks went. We have a lot of fun with that show. And then, you know, we'll be doing our own mock draft the week after on the following Friday night. So it's it's full force draft season right now. We are into it. Hopefully my computer continues to work. We're on. (laughs) That's what the background is looking like here. You'll you'll see more what you're used to next week. But uh, 
we can't thank you enough for listening. If you're watching this on YouTube, please do not forget to like, comment, and subscribe. It helps us out so much with these videos as we are trying to make Built-In Buffalo YouTube your one-stop shop for Buffalo Bills content. Luke and I will be back on Bills Chat Live this coming Friday night, and we will see you next time on Bills Chat.